Hey, Andrea, welcome to Humanly Possible. It's so great to finally have you on the show. How's it going? Thank you so much, Angela. I'm so excited to be here. I think this will be a very fun conversation. Yes, yes. Well, I know that this has been a long time coming. We've been, like you mentioned before, kind of like prepping for this for a while. And I'm just, I'm really excited to chat with you. Um, And so I know who you are. I mean, I'm like your biggest Instagram fan and follower. (laughs) But tell... Vice versa. Big fan. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But tell the audience who you are. So what do you do professionally? What, you know, how you... uh, how do you spend your time professionally, but then also what makes you human? Okay. Two part question. So the first part's easy. Um, I'm a lawyer. I work in Washington, DC and, uh, my practice area is in employment law, which in its most general sense just means that I deal with conflicts between employers and employees. Um, but my personal practice area is focused on kind of where, um, at the intersection of where um, workplace culture and legal risk meet. Uh, And that takes shape in a couple of different forms. Um, Like on the one hand, I do a lot of workplace culture assessments where we go into organizations and uh, talk to people, get a sense for how people feel at work, um, how safe, included, respected, those types of feelings, how, how those are being received at work. Um, we look at data and we kind of put it all together to synthesize some findings um, and recommendations, but all with an eye towards, you know, is there any simmering legal risk here or, or existing legal risk here? And so we'll take um, steps or recommend steps for the organization to take to really address those um, cultural problems, which in turn will mitigate the legal risk. So. Um, That's more of the proactive work that I do. Um, But on the other hand, I do some reactive work, um, which is like responding to a specific allegation of wrongdoing um, at work uh, that kind of amounts into a a crisis. So in that that scenario, we go in and do an investigation and figure out what, you know, what happened here um, and, and kind of tie up and repair the damage from that specific scenario. Um, but beyond that, you look kind of at the broader organization and what led us to, or what led them to that point where they got to the crisis point. And um, so it's kind of a different type of cultural assessment, if you will, um, where we're looking at the policies and practices and, and the culture to see what um, where the soft spots are so we can shore up any gaps to prevent something like that from happening again. Um, so a long way of saying that, you know, my work is just understanding workplaces, um, how people interact at work. Um, I see a lot of different types of leaders. I see um, what types of leadership is resonating among today's workforce. I see the trends in um, kind of shifting attitudes among uh, workforces and how that's evolving. So it's, it's just a very interesting perspective and place to be as a lawyer in the middle of all, all of that. Yes, and I love the fact that you, I mean, when I think about employment law, um, I think in the past we've thought about just the, the reactive, right? And so right. the fact that you have taken much more holistic approach and you're also looking at the lens of workplace culture as a whole is, is really, I think is really cool. And 
is I think what brought us together in this space because right. um, we're working on a lot of similar things. And so tell us what makes exactly. you human. What's the other side of the coin? Oh, that's right. <laughs> I thought I could get away with that. Yeah. You know, I think, I think um, it's, an, it's an interesting question and I struggle with it because I, I would like to sh show like humanity at work, which is, of course, like the banner on outside of this podcast. But it's it's so I was as I'm thinking about humanity at work, I think the qualities that inherently make us human I think we're taught to hide them at work. And so I'm struggling to like articulate, you know, what, what does make me human? But if, if I have, to, if I'm pulled um, to answer, I would say just um, my um, inclination to want to build a community, um, my wanting to have con like meaningful connections with people and seeing the value in having those connections and having people, um, you know, show up, me show up and, and them show up and we're being generous with our time and our energy with each other and kind of what, how much power there is in that type of um, really authentic driven collaboration. Um, so I'm, I'm a connections person. I like relationships. Like I like building relationships and um, seeing how, you know, we can work together to achieve our, our shared objectives. I love that. That is uh, one of my favorite answers yet. You, I think, uh, uh, the, you so the, the, the <laughs> connection around community to me, I mean, that's just my personal mission as well. And so, which is why I think we're I just kindred, kindred spirits. <laughs> yes, I see that in you completely. And so, I mean, it's just, it's so nice to have your perspective on this podcast. And you mentioned this idea of leadership, which I think is a really interesting angle because you've seen it all, right? You've probably seen the toxic leader and the really progressive leader, um, both ends of the spectrum. So are you comfortable sharing any themes around, I guess, what you're seeing around the, the shift in leadership um, since you've been in this space? And then you mentioned the idea around generations and the upcoming emerging generation in the workforce. And so what are some things that you're noticing? What are your observations? Yes. Well, I'll say that um, more of the shift that I've been seeing has been in the workforce. So like the broader um, employees, as opposed to the leadership, I think leadership, um, there's more resistance, you know, at least initially to change because people are relying upon the qualities and, and actions that they've done to get um, to the very successful place that they are. So it's, it is harder to kind of break um, that mold, but where I'd see a ton of shift um, is in the workforce. And I think um, just the overall attitudes around uh, what it means to be at work, um, what, uh, they, what people want work to um, stand for, um, how they want to be treated at work, all of that has shifted. And I think it just kind of boiling it down, it's like people want work to align with their values. And then to the extent that they don't, that there's misalignment there, um, employees are feeling you know, compelled and you know, without hesitation uh, expressing that in a way that's very public and um, in the first instance, as opposed to you know hand, maybe raising a concern internally to the company, that the first instance is 
we want we want you to know that we disagree with your um, values assessment and we're going to um, hold you accountable in a very public way. So, I mean, and of course, there's like tons of examples of that we've seen since the Me Too movement and then the uh, racial justice movements this past summer. I mean, but it doesn't even have to be necessarily um, a movement. It, we've I've seen at least um, people coming out and saying, this is just a toxic workplace like that and that's it and i'm going to go to the news and, exp and expose all the toxicity in this place and like that can be it so you know it's it's a, the trend is you know going externally with issues like this as opposed to retaining them internally and i think that um has put employee employers in a new stance um, where they are, they are now listening in a way they haven't before, um, but it's all still very new. So to the extent I see um, kind of trends in leadership, it's that they're curious. They want to know what and better understand what um, the broader workforce um, is expecting out of their employer. Um, but they don't know what that is. Like there, there are two complete different pages about what the appropriate way, I mean, let's take um, maybe like Black Lives Matter, the, the um, everything that happened last summer with George Floyd's murder. I mean, there are two very distinct kind of schools of thought in terms of how to respond to that. One of which being, and this is like the higher level of leadership being why do I need to say Black Lives Matter? Of course they matter. Um, they've always mattered. I don't need my employer to tell me that Black Lives Matter. So like, why are you expecting this from us? That, that's one side. And then the other side, the being the broader workforce, is thinking, this is the easiest issue. There's no gray area here. Can you just say Black Lives Matter? It takes a minute. Um, I, it's incredible to me that you're not doing this, like, you know, so it's just a complete disconnect, um, but not necessarily that they're, they don't both believe Black Lives Matter, they just aren't um, having the same idea about what the role of the employer is. And so like, it's, you know, having to bridge those gaps, but there's, um, there's definitely a generational if I, if I had to categorize it that way um, divide and how people perceive those issues and the types of responses they want in situations like that yes I mean I uh, you and I were talking earlier about the um, Deloitte survey so Deloitte does a right. an annual generational state of the union type of <laughs> survey just to say okay where are we at um, and, you know, there's also school of thought around generations, right? And are there really differences? Like, aren't our human values the same? And, uh, you know, I tend to think that we, we cycle in these generations, um, and it all has to do with really large movements and pro progressive thinking, right? So right. we are at a pivot point when it comes to uh, social humanitarian issues that you know, since the Civil War, I would say we haven't had, I mean, there's been focus, right? We've had, we've talked about DE&I, we've changed the acronyms on those a million times. Uh, but I think we're finally at this point where 
the social contract has changed in the workplace specifically. And whether it's changed in other institutions, I think there's some, you know, some some differences on I think I think there's more more, more to do, <laughs> certainly with like government oh, and things yeah. like that. But the workplace at least, you do have this generation that's saying, I call bullshit. Right. I'm holding you accountable, employer. Like yeah. if you want me, if you want my talent and my skill set, which I know is valuable right. by the way. <laughs> right, exactly. I I want to work for a company that is clear on their values, mm-hmm. is is putting uh, action, money, investment, time into these issues that I care about, and there are companies right. doing that. So, and I've got to pick up. I have a pick between three or four different employers to work at. So, tell me what you're doing for me, <laughs> and exactly. for the world. Exactly. No, I think that's that's exactly it. It's it's a it's a huge shift in the paradigm. And I think yeah. it's it's really telling of. And you mentioned it earlier is like the leadership pipeline, right? Like we have a a group of leaders who are, I would say, probably on the verge of retirement and they have no, you know, no uh, incentive to really change at this point. Right. It's like they're going to ride out the next five years and, you know, they're 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 over this progressive thinking or this, you know, these new generation that's coming into play. So you've got, you know, this group of uh, leaders that are retiring, um, and then you've got this, like, huge pipeline of new leaders. And uh, so what do, you, what, do you, what do you envision changing because of that? As, as leaders who are in their, say, 50s, 60s are retiring, and now we have leaders who are entering leadership roles earlier, by the way, like in their 20s right. and 30s. What do you, how, how do you think the paradigm is going to shift even further because of that? Yeah, and I, that's exactly it. I think the paradigm will be pushed even further in the direction that we have the momentum going towards right now. Um, but yeah, this, it's that middle, that middle band of management, um, you know, people who have, are established um, at their careers but may not be at the, you know, the higher rung of leadership, not in the C-suite type roles but are certainly primed to be you know once this next um kind of tier of leadership retires off like you mentioned um so now you're you're kind of ascending the corporate ladder and you're sitting at the top and you know now you have the uh power and influence to um, really set the tone in a way that takes hold in terms of corporate culture that is um, so it's, you know, it's your turn. So you get to decide how you want to define it, how you want to show up. You can now, uh, bring in all those, um, characteristics and qualities of work that you were once, you know, previously demanding of current leadership to exemplify. You can now be that, and you can create that, that space, um, and that those values and those ideals and have them be kind of core you know, bedrock um, pillars of, of the company. So, I mean, that that in itself, I mean, that changes work as we know it, like workplace culture and the way that you and I, Angela, know it and study it and, you know, can, can fiddle with it. It's gonna be all different types of issues. Um, it, it'll, it'll look it just entirely different, in, but in a very exciting way. Um, 
But yeah, so it, they, we are in, I think, a critical piece of the leadership pipeline, to use your clever phrase, um, where those middle managers, the, which I, you know, put the label of like millennial, but the growing workforce um, who, who are established and are primed to be leaders in the next, you know, few years, um, it's their time to really think about how they want to show up. Yes, yes. And it's a uh, it's kind of wild to me because I've I've always been the youngest, <laughs> the youngest person on a team or, you know, looking around and thinking, oh, man, I'm not getting much respect here because I'm, I'm the I'm the I'm clearly the youngest person. But now I'm looking around and I'm seeing, you know, the Gen Zers who are popping into the I workplace. <laughs> and now I'm the person saying, oh, wow, that's like that's very different than how I would do that. Or I didn't I think know. about that. But I feel like there's such a, like, there's a lot more connection between millennials and Gen Zers than, like, millennials Definitely. and Gen Xers or baby boomers. And so that, I to me, that that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's fascinating, too. And Gen Zers are just so badass. Like, they're so, like, they, they are taking kind of the the little bit that the millennials did the me too movement and have just like amped it up to like, they are passionate and they are vocal and they are unapologetic. But like, I respect that completely and all for the right things. Like, I feel like they're not being frivolous in the things that they're, you know, talking about and demanding. So like, it's exciting to me to see their enthusiasm. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm curious to see how it, you know, plays out as they grow in the workforce, but completely agree. I think they are more, um, millennials and the, the Gen Zers are definitely more kind of on that same, um, we want to see a change in, in how we work uh, train. So completely agree. And it's, it's funny because when I talk to leaders, executives, a lot of times, you know, they're very focused on millennials. It's like, oh, this upcoming like, like we're kids, right? And I'm like, well, I'm like an elder millennial at this point. So I think you should right. be, don't focus on me. Focus on these Gen Zers right. because they are the ones who um, we need to be focused on. So, uh, but I do think there's a lot of similarities. Like, again, I think there's a lot of um, threads that, that connect us. I think the connection to the, the main theme that I'm seeing that, that the Deloitte survey talked about is accountability, like you mentioned. And also this table stakes around business should have an active role in driving social um, social right. change, which you know a lot of companies now are like, well, you know, why why do I have to talk about a social issue? And if I talk about one social issue, now I got to talk about them all. That sounds exhausting. Right. <laughs> right. Nope. Yeah, no, I see that. I see that too. You know, it's like which now, which issues are most important? Like, which issues are now important enough that we have to, you know, say something? And then it, and then that turns into, well, you know, the perception of that type of attitude is that you're just saying something to appease us. Like, you're not actually adopting this as a core value of, you know, the organization. It's just like an issue of the moment that you want to get off your desk, and like that's not really getting at what people are asking for so it's um but yeah i i completely agree with what you're saying yeah and this idea of you know i just i just was uh i had a post the other day about performative culture 
and the fact that, you know, it's it's this, um, you know, I kind of envision like executives talking in a room and they're like, oh, you know, our competitor over there is talking about Black Lives Matter, so we should do that. And then you post something right. and it's like, well, what action are you actually like, what are you putting your money up? Are you putting your investment? Are you changing policies? Are you changing process? Right. Are you like, what is your what is your core? And I think it goes back to, you know, I work a lot with organizational identity, purpose, mission, vision, values. And, you know, I, I argue, you know, a lot of people say, well, values don't change. I would argue that I think you should probably be looking at those values right about now <laughs> and kind of, especially if your That's leadership great. has turned over to, into a new right. generation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's time. If you, if you, if you developed your values 80 years ago, uh, you right. may want to take a look. Things have changed. That's right. Th- things have changed. I mean, and you, you can have certainly, you know, themes of values that you carry through, but the, you know, you have to filter it through today's lens. So you have to take reassess kind of what those um, values look like in today's world so that it, that it fits, it makes sense. So yeah, definitely should be reassessing those regularly. Yeah, and maybe it's not the values that change, but it's the behaviors um, because exactly. a lot of companies have values, they plaster them on the wall or their website, and but they don't define Okay, what does this actually, what does this buzzword actually mean? (laughs) Yes, what does this mean? In in today's context, too. Right, yep. So there's... No, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Um, That just reminds, I mean, that's exactly what um, kind of happened in the wake of Me Too and to a lesser degree after um, these racial justice movements last summer is like, we have the legal standard of what sexual harassment was never changed. And so people didn't understand why we needed to change our, our values, our policies, you know, what we understand harassment or respect at work to be. Um, but it's the behaviors. It's, it's applying the behaviors and interweaving them to like the pre-existing values so that people can interpret what that looks like under today's um you know, societal expectations, like that changes throughout, you know, time and culture. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, it's, so it's, it's, it's a changing world. We're at a pivot point. I mean, I know we talked about the pipeline of the pipeline of leaders coming into, into these roles that are making decisions and influencing, but do you have any thoughts just with your experience on ways that people who may be set in their ways, right? Leaders who, um, are curious, that curious uh, population you talked about. Anything to consider there? Because we have a lot of those leaders listening, and I'm sure they're curious as to what they can be doing tactically, how they can be doing some self-reflection. Any, any thoughts from you on that? Yeah, I think, um, yes, I think, first of all, it just takes a lot of listening. Um, hearing... A 360 feedback is both incredibly painful, but so illuminating and, and helpful. Um, but understanding how you are being received currently, um, and if if there's a delta between how you others perceive you and how you want to be perceived, um, you know, figuring out what 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 steps do I need to take um, to redefine my my flavor of leadership and what what do I want it to look like 
um, and taking steps, you know, just practical day-to-day -day steps. It doesn't have to be kind of changing the world, but every interaction you have with someone is a chance to practice your your desired, you know, brand of leadership. So take those opportunities to kind of um, to practice the, the type of boss you would you would like to be, the type of leader you would like to be. Uh, but first is just defining it. So you know, listening to people, getting that feedback, defining what you want to be, and then practicing. I love it. the The concept of three hundred and sixty, you know, is is such such a key key one. Um, I think a lot of times when people think of three hundred and sixty, they think of like the big assessment, right? Like you send it out to everyone, you get all this feedback, but it could simply be just, hey, I'm going to ask one peer, one direct report, and my boss once a quarter how I'm doing, how I'm being perceived, um, and and collecting and, and taking an active interest in right. your development. Definitely. And I think that will pay dividends in all the people around you that you're asking that, you know, just you showing that you're taking an interest and wanting to be a better leader in that way would, you know, certainly have a positive impact upon them. So. You know, I, I oftentimes Definitely. think, think like 30 years from now, will I be that leader who is like, you know, stuck in their ways, and it's going to be such an interesting seeing us getting older, right? And and um, yeah. being in that position, and Gen Z, and whatever the next generation is, is there going to be tension? I mean, I'm sure there is going to be yeah. for for different reasons, but I think regardless of your generation, if you have a growth mindset, I think you're way ahead of the curve because you're able to reflect on the realization either that you need to step back and let yeah. you know let fresh fresh ideas in or in, in innovative ideas in. Um, but it is about timing, I feel like. You know, I've been in situations, even at my age, where I've been in a role for a few years and I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've hit a ceiling. I, right. sure, I could do more, but I think we would get so much more value from me grooming somebody else who has fresh ideas and coming in and, and making it even better. So I have no ego behind that. I think right. ego plays into this a lot too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent ego is playing, playing a role in a lot of different respects. But yeah, I mean, when you have achieved a measure of success and you feel like you know the way to do it, I mean, why would you change if, if unless you have a growth mindset and just a desire to, to be better? But I, I totally get the natural inclination to just kind of sit on your laurels um and i think this also plays into not just the more established leaders um, but also those emerging leaders who are um, still figuring it out um and because they're still figuring it out might be you know take the very natural inclination to just emulate the models of success that are existing in front of them which might be fine, but it might not be um, a true and authentic, you know, model of leadership that fits with them, that aligns with them and how they want to show up as leaders. Um, and it could be perpetuating kind of the, the less desirable qualities of leadership that we don't really want to see perpetuated going forward. So um, I think even before you get into or at least in your earlier days of leadership, you should 
um, still be thinking about how I want to show up as a lead, defining what you want your brand of leadership to be and defining that and starting to practice um, becoming that type of leader. That's brilliant. Yeah, I, I think that uh, we, we have a long ways to go with shifting the paradigm on that, the construct of leadership. Oh, and I think it's going to happen naturally because right. these things are already ha- like I feel like the world is moving faster than the paradigm around leadership. Yes. <laughs> because I mean, if you still go back to you know I'm an IO psychologist, so a lot of my research is in academia, and you look at like the sample sizes and who you know who they use. It's it's very traditional. It's still very traditional, and so we've got to get better representation of leadership. You know, not your white males in college. Uh, you know, we have to re- we have to redefine the definition. And so I think right. that's going to be our generation who does that. Exactly. Exactly. I think you're spot on there. Um, and that just takes time. That takes time. But um, I think I think we're moving in that direction, which is exciting. Yeah, it takes time. And I think we're we are probably the most impatient generation. And Gen Z <laughs> is like, Ten times more impatient. Oh, yeah. So they, I'm they, hoping they, we'll, we'll create some speed with that. Um, yeah. But it was such a pleasure talking with you. It's I. It, it always I, is. It's such an honor. <laughs> I had a delightful time as always when I talked to you. So thank you so much for having me. Yes, yes, and I could talk to you all day. So um, we definitely need to do this again. You know, maybe. Talk about another topic similar to yeah, emerging yeah. leadership because I, I love this topic and um, just thank you for sharing your insights, your time, you know, sharing the space with me today and and thanks for joining Humanly Possible, Andrea. Thank you so much.